The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows, he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You guys, that psalm to me is timeless. It's one that I return to over and over and over again. It's really, for me, a very centering psalm. When life starts to get me down, when I have a week that's like this or like this, that some of you guys said, or it's like a thumbs down week and the anxieties are mounting, just to go back to that psalm, and the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. And just to like slowly pray through that. So we're going to talk about the guy that wrote the psalm, and like a really cool thing about him, he loved to spend time with the Lord. You guys, I also love to spend time with the Lord. I love to spend time in God's presence. I love when I'm able to take time and things aren't busy, I can just be with God. I love to worship him, sing songs to him, sometimes make up songs to him, sometimes they're good. Sometimes that one's only for Jesus, right? Because nobody needs to hear it because it's not that good. But he loves me anyways because he's my dad. And when you're the kid, the parent thinks everything you do is cute, right? Um, I love when I can sit at his feet and read his word and just get caught up in his presence like Shelby just sang about and just soak him in. But you guys, I got to tell you tonight about how I came to the place that I love to spend time in God's presence. Um how I really got to know him and got to enjoy time in his presence. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing. It came from a time that I was really bored. I was stuck. I was awaiting. It didn't come out of, man, Jesus, I want to know you more and I'm going to put in this effort. Really, I tried to put in the effort and it wasn't working. Um, But instead, I found myself absolutely stuck. I've been falling off for a while trying to figure out how to read the Bible, trying to figure out how to spend time in prayer, trying to figure out how to really worship God from my heart, not just sing the songs, but like really mean it, you know? And um, I, I hit this point my senior year of high school where I was completely and utterly bored. So this is what happened. I got mono. Going into my senior year of high school, I was a cheerleader, I cheered with my team, I was super excited about the football season, I was excited about senior year, and all that I was gonna experience with that, and like, lo and behold, first game of the season, we all shared a water bottle, right, those big like water bottles, and somebody was sick, who knows who was sick, but I got mono, and for at least a month, I missed school, I was so tired I could barely stand up, I, couldn't really leave my room, definitely didn't leave my house, and I was just sitting in bed, literally, at 17 years old, bored out of my mind. And I was like, Jesus, this is not what I wanted for the season. Have you ever been there? You're like, Jesus, this is not what I want for the season. This is not how I pictured it looking, right? But as I sat there, well, there on, on my nightstand right next to my bed was my Bible, 
It was super cute. I purchased it. I was like, if it's cute, I'm going to read it right. We know. At least y'all girls know what I'm talking about. And I was sitting in the bed, and I was bored, and I was like, okay. Page one. Right? Genesis 1-1. In the beginning. Right? And, And I started to read it. And then, like, the more I read it, like, I, I would have a question. So I'd just stop and be like, well, Jesus, what does this mean? Teach me that. You know? And I feel like the Holy Spirit would start to, to help me understand the scripture. And then, so I'd pray and be like, okay, Lord, help me to make that a reality in my life. And i fall asleep because I'm mono. <laughs> and i wake up, and the thing would start again. But after, like, a month of basically sitting in my bed and using my waking hours like reading the word and soaking in God's presence, I fell in love with his word. I fell in love with the presence of God. I like fell in love with spending time with God. But y'all, it didn't come out of, I'm going to do this and it's going to be fun and it's going to look cool and you know I'm going to be like the super saved Jackie. It came out of, I drank after my friend <laughs> and I got stuck in bed and, and I just got stuck and I just had this season of waiting, um, you know, and, and like at the time I was really mad about it. At the time I was really disappointed, you know, because I was like, man, this is senior year. I've got all these things to experience. God is going to like do all this cool stuff. And this isn't how it's supposed to look. But like looking back on it, man, the Lord used that season of waiting, right? That month of mono in my bed, the Lord used it to really get a hold of me and cultivate a love for his word in my, in my life. So in retrospect, I'm really thankful for the season of being stuck at home. I'm really thankful that God kind of like put my life on reset. He was like, pause button, because what you're doing isn't working, Jackie. And he, he changed my context, and he put me in a place where I just had to wait. And like in the waiting, he met me there, and he drew me into his presence, drew me into his presence. Words are hard, right? And, and he taught me to love him, to love his word. So tonight, we're talking about one of my favorite personalities in the Bible, which is David. Um, and, and when we look at David's life, I think I connect with David because it's like he was a king. He was a giant slayer, right? He did all these amazing things. David also just did a ton of waiting, a ton of waiting, Right? Um, Matt talked last week about Samuel, and we looked at the story where David was anointed by Samuel, right? And so we're going to return to that really quick, just for a second, and we're going to reread it. But we're going to look at it from like the David perspective, right? Not the Samuel perspective. Um, so in 1 Samuel 16, 5 through 12, Samuel said, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, this is David's older brother, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord's chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Right? So I'd like to point out, who's missing? David. David. 
David, he's missing. So Jesse replies, there's still the youngest, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. And Samuel says, send for him at once. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. And it says he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. You guys, when we look at David, the first glimpse we get of David is like, it's his scene. It's his scene where Samuel has been sent to anoint the next king of Israel, and he's not even in it, right? Where is he? He's in the sheep because he's the youngest. His family apparently doesn't think a lot of him, but they don't even call him to this dinner with the prophet, right? They're like, oh, he's the youngest. He's out there with the sheep. He can just stay, you know? And like, so his own family isn't even like looking at him and being like, well, that's a future king, right? Instead, he's with the sheep. But the, the Lord knew where he was, and I really believe that the Lord um, saw something in the shepherd boy that was different, and the Lord was doing something in the shepherd boy that, is, that was different, that was going to create in him the heart to become the king that God needed for his people, right? But it, it wasn't the guy that, like, walked up and he was all, I don't know how guys walk, but, you know, like... And Samuel looked at him, and he's like, that looks like a king. That wasn't David, right? He was the dude chilling in the field with the animals. But God saw something in him, and God was doing something in him while he was in that field. Um, so now we're going to look at, like, probably the most famous story from David's life. Um, David and Goliath. Anybody heard of this? So young dude David, really big giant Goliath. They're going to get in a fight. Um, let's read about it, cool, and we'll talk about it and see what we learn as we go through the story of David and Goliath. So 1 Samuel 17, if you look at verse 1, it says, The Philistines now mustered their army for battle. Saul, count, Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops now near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them, right? So you guys can picture this. There's a hill, and the Philistines are up on this hill. There's another hill, and the Israelites are up here, and there's a valley in the middle, and they're just kind of facing off, because if, if one invades, then they're like lower, and their opponent has the higher ground, and so they're at a disadvantage. So they're just like, you know, facing each other off, waiting. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, I don't know about you guys. I'm pretty short, so nine feet tall would be intimidating. He wore a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. So his bronze coat of mail weighed a Jackie. Um, he's a big dude. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of the spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. And his armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. So this guy is so big that his armor is so big that if I put it on, I probably couldn't walk, right? Um, this is a big dude, and he comes out, and he stood and he shouted across the hill to the Israelites, why are you all coming out to fight? He said, I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves, but if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight with me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Right? So, so what he's doing is like, in ancient times, sometimes they would do this to avoid 
high cost of like many lives on both sides of the army, they'd send a champion out. And he would fight kind of as a representative for his side. The other side would send a champion. Whoever won essentially won the battle. So Goliath, this big intimidating dude, is walking out and he's like, come fight me. Come fight me. Um, and, and so like they're seeing this guy. He looks intimidating, right? And interestingly, if you go back and read about Saul, it says that he was like the tallest guy in Israel. So like King Saul is like the biggest dude Israel's got. And then he's got his army behind him. So who should have gone to fight Goliath? Probably Saul, right? Probably Saul. Um, but that's not what happens, right? That's not what happens. So then we read in verse 14 that um, David's dad is sending David to visit his three oldest brothers who are in Saul's army to see how they're doing. And so he, he leaves the sheep and he goes to visit the brothers. And we read in verse 16, for 40 days, every morning and every evening, the stewed Goliath has walked out and strutted in front of the army of Israel and been like, who's going to fight me? For 40 days, morning and night. So that means 80 times, dude has walked out and he's been like, who's going to fight me? I defy your army. I defy your God. I'm going to conquer you. Right? So 80 times this has happened over 40 days. Um, and not a single person, not the king, not anyone, has volunteered to go fight this giant. So David shows up, right? And um, if, as we read this, he's, he's asking, and like, there's some rewards. Because apparently King Saul is like, well, I don't want to fight him. But if, if you fight him, you don't have to pay taxes. You can marry one of my daughters. I'm sure she's like, thanks, Dad. Um, right? But he's like, there's, there's all this, these rewards if you go fight Goliath. Um, and David is like coming up on the army, and he, he sees Goliath walk out, and he's like, who is this guy? Like, what is going on? So he inquires about it. And we read in verse 26, he says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Um, so he's, he's asking about it, and, and like we see that like David has a different perspective about it, right? He walks up, he sees this thing that everyone else has seen for 40 days, and he's like, who's this guy think he is, right? Like he's big, he's scary, but who does he think he is? He's defying the armies of, of the living God. Um, so his brothers get mad at him. They're like, you just want to see the battle. Like, why are you here anyways? But he's asking so many questions that eventually it gets through the ranks that there's this kid here, right? Because he's not old enough to be in the army yet. This kid's here. He's asking a lot of questions about fighting Goliath. And so the king hears about it and calls for him, right? So now we have David, the young guy, standing there with the king of Israel. And this is what he says. Verse 32, he says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Now, just picture this in your head, right? The guy that should be fighting, the guy that's the biggest guy in Israel, the guy that should be leading the army, has been hiding for 40 days. And maybe a teenager, he might have been that old then, 
right? Walks up and he's like, don't worry, I'll find him. I was like, is he a warrior? No. Has he had any training? No. Does he even own any armor? We'll read no, right? But he says, Saul, don't worry about it. He says, don't, I can take it. So in verse 33, Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. This is, y'all, this is his resume. <laughs> don't worry. I'll fight the, the giant. I'm a shepherd, <laughs> right? This, listen, listen to what he's learned there. He says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So here we see that David hasn't just been sitting in the pasture with the sheep, which a lot of times when we read the Psalms, which he wrote many of them, we do think of like this, this young guy and he's chilling with like a harp, or if you want to like make it contextualized today, he's chilling with a guitar, writing songs and like getting in touch with his emotions. He's just chilling in a pasture with sheep. But like, no, like there was something that the Lord had been teaching him aside from just being in the presence of God and, and learning to be a worshiper, sitting in that field. And it was that God would fight for him, that God would defend him. He says, you know, I've come up against the lion and it tried to get my sheep and I grabbed it by the jaw and I clubbed it in the head and I, I overcome because God helped me, right? And he's like, and then I did it to a bear. You guys, I've been chased by a bear. I'm just telling you, I was on hike with one of my students and we lived in Knoxville and like she decided to snack on the trail. I like to hike, right? But she pulls out the snacks and you're not supposed to like in the middle of the woods pull out the snacks, right? So this bear pops out and then she turns and sees it and jumps and so, like, they have a reflex. If you jump, they run at you because, like, you look like food, right? So this bear starts charging, and I have to confess, my instinct was not to grab a rock, grab its jaw, and, like, bash it in the head, right? But David is different than Jackie, and, and David would have been like, you don't have my student bear. You know, like, he would have taken it out. Um, but he's learned that God will take care of him. I learned that God made me a runner. Um, so it's so a little bit different there, but it's like, this is no joke. He's faced these real obstacles, these very real life-threatening things at, at a young age, and he's really experienced that God is good. God met him in that challenge and helped him to overcome. And he's like, if God helped me overcome there, he's the same God, and he's going to help me overcome this giant. And he takes what he learns in the waiting, in the boredom, in the field, and he's like, I'm going to walk in that and use it in this battle against Goliath. So he had learned this confident trust in God as he tended his father's sheep. And he's recalling how God helped him in the, fast, in the past and trusting that God will help him again. He believes that God will enable him to use the little skill he has as a shepherd and defeat this giant. So Saul finally consents and he says, all right, go ahead. May the Lord be with you. And then for verse 38, we see something else about David. It says, Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. So he puts on this armor, and he's like, 
okay, let me see what this feels like. And he says, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He lays the armor aside. So he's like, that's not who I am. And he picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them into his shepherd's bag, and then armed with only a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. And you guys, I think this part is, is really important as well, because David, in this time that he spent shepherding the sheep, spending time with the Lord, learning that God will help him to overcome in, in like these adverse circumstances, he's learned who he is. And he's learned that like, He's a simple dude. He's not used to helmets. He's not used to, to coats of mail. And while that might look really cool, he's like, I can't. I can't find this. This is not who I am. And so he's secure in who he is. And instead of putting on this facade of a warrior, he lays it aside and he goes in what he already has. He goes in the experience that he's already gained. And, and he goes in the knowledge of like who God made him to be with a sling and some stones, and he trusts that what he's learned in the field, alone with God and the sheep, is enough, because God is enough. And he knows that God will fight for him. So then this is, like, um, the main part, right, of the story, that, like, if you've heard it, you've heard this part. In verse 41, it says, Goliath walked out towards David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering into contempt at the ready-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods, and he said, come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. So he's like, for 40 days, challenged an entire army, and no one has fought him, and now this kid's coming out, no armor, just a slingshot in his hand, and like, I mean, he's making fun of him. He's like, this is ridiculous. Like, what do you think is going to happen? But then David replies to Goliath. He said, you come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the, your dead body and the bodies of your men to the birds of wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. So David points out that, like, who's going to win this? Who's going to win this fight? The Lord, right? The Lord's going to do it. He's like, man, you're coming at me with all your armor and, and with all your tallness and, and all that, you know, but, like, you've defied God, and God's going to fight you. And basically, like, he's going to enable me to cut off your head, which is really bold, right? But, but he's got this trust in the Lord that's come through this place of waiting. So David knows who the real champion is. He's seeing the situation from God's point of view, where everyone else has seen it from a human point of view, where they're like, that dude's bigger than me. I don't want to fight him, right? David's looking at it, and he's saying, that dude's smaller than God. And he's seeing it from God's point of view. He didn't see a giant. He saw a mortal man that had gone against the living God, and he knew that as he faced Goliath, he was not alone. He knew that God was with him, and God would fight for him. He had cultivated this deep trust in the Lord. He had trusted God would continue to be faithful just as he had in the past. So let me read, and this is the end of this story. As Goliath moved closer to attack David, quickly ran out to meet him. 
Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Right? So, like, this is, this is totally a freak thing. It could only be the Lord. But he sends the stone flying, and it hits the guy. He falls down, and then he steals his own sword. And he, like, beheads him, right? But really, who's the champion here? It's the Lord. Yeah. It's the Lord. The Lord defeated Goliath, and David knew it wasn't up to him. He knew it was up to someone so much bigger than him. And, like, he had spent his life up until this point getting to know God and growing in that trust with him. He hadn't grown annoyed at being the youngest, which his brothers didn't really treat him good. We read the beginning of the story. His brothers aren't really kind to him. But he hadn't grown annoyed at that. Annoyed at that. He hadn't grown dissatisfied with his lowly job, right? And, like, we know, y'all are college students. Sometimes we have lowly jobs. But he hadn't grown dissatisfied in that. He had used that time to cultivate this deep relationship with God. And I really believe that it's out of that depth that God saw a man that, like, couldn't be a good king for Israel. I believe that it's out of that relationship that he, he became the man after God's own heart, right? That didn't happen in the palace. That happened, like, long before that when he was getting to know the Lord. So we know David was a mighty man. He took on Goliath. He went on the run from Saul later when he got jealous, but he refused to kill him. After many more years on the run and much waiting, he eventually became king. You guys, decades after his anointing, he finally becomes king. So it's like he wasn't even done waiting. The Lord let him wait some more, and we have psalms from when he did that. Um, and like, like we said, David played the harp. He composed psalms like Psalm 23 that we read or heard at the beginning. And many of these are what make up the book of Psalms in our Bible today. Um, when he fell into sin with Bathsheba, he repented, right? He wasn't perfect, but he acknowledged when he fell short. And he returned to God, and he wrote one of the humblest prayers of repentance for us to, to look at and learn from, which is Psalm 51. He established tabernacle worship and taught the people of Israel to worship God through music and song. He raised funds so that his son Solomon could build the temple for the Lord. He did so much. He did so much. You guys, to try and summarize David's life in one night in just a few minutes is absolutely insane. He did so much. But looking at David's life, you guys, over and over and over, the thing that happens to him over and over and over is it's waiting. He spends so much of his life waiting for all the things he did. There's like years and, like, you can read about it in First and Second Samuel. You can read about it years of just waiting, of being frustrated, but instead of getting bitter in that frustration, turning to God and pursuing God in the waiting, right? And so in the shepherd's field, when he's on the run from Saul, he becomes king, and, like, one of his sons, like, takes over and sends him on the run again, and he waits again, right? And all of these things... I believe that David didn't squander his waiting. He didn't squander his boredom. He let God use it to teach him who he was and change his life through it. And I think 
God used that time that he was sitting alone in the field with a bunch of sheep. When he had time on his hands, and he used it to worship the Lord, he got to know the Lord. And um, he used, God used that time to get a hold of his heart and make him a man who trusted deeply in God, to make him a man that was after God's own heart. So he was a shepherd, and God met him there in the field. And that's where he learned to trust the Lord. And so what's the challenge tonight? And we're going to kind of do something different. We're not going to do like an altar call thing because we already had some cool prayer time. We're going to break into like groups of two or three and talk about it. Um, but I really want you guys to like, like think about it. Cool. The challenge is this. What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your waiting? And what does God want to do in your waiting when you're stuck? When you're bored, what does God want to do there? And will you trust that God is working in your life now to get you ready for how he plans to use you in the future? Right? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. So if he has me waiting, if he has me stuck, if he has me bored, he has a purpose in it, right? Um, so I just like release you guys to break into groups of two and three and just talk about like what are you doing in your time and your waiting and how God how might God want to use that to do something in you so Lord as we break into groups Lord you bless, bless our discussion God would you help us um, Lord really to be challenged and to take this to trust you Lord God in, in the times of waiting that you give us in Jesus name Amen